0: Good morning again, wonderful to be sharing God's word with you this morning and uh, God's given us some sunshine yesterday and today so I hope you've had a chance to enjoy some of that and if you have your Bibles turn to Exodus, the book of Exodus chapter 3 and we'll look at verses 9 to 14 this morning, Exodus chapter 3 verse 9 to 14. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Thou shalt Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we are come before your throne now, seeking your grace and your wisdom. Father, our prayer is that as we look into your holy word this morning, that our hearts would be fully prepared to receive it that our minds would understand it, and that we would have the grace to live it. So we ask this morning for a blessing from you, that your spirit will be working in every heart now, teaching us, helping us to understand, and equipping us to be the children of God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses is talking to a burning bush. It's a bush, it's on fire. And it speaks to Moses and it says, I'm going to send you to rescue my people. And Moses basically says, well, who am I? That you would send someone like me. And God says, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. Every step of the way. So Moses looks for another excuse not to uh, not to go. And he says, well, but who are who, which, What name do you call yourself? So that when I go and tell them, that I'm here to to rescue them, that uh, they understand. And God simply says, tell them I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. That's an extraordinary sort of name to call yourself, I am. And we know how the rest of that story goes, or we should. The I am. If you were to call yourself I am, and for that to be true, what would it mean? I am. Well, we've been looking at uh, some things on, a, on, on Wednesday night. Um, been going through the attributes of God and, and, uh, and understanding what he says about himself. I am, one of, the, one of the essential ingredients of I am is that he is the self-existent one. You see, we need a lot of things to exist. And we spoke about this with the teens the other night. Um, if I took away the air from this room, how long would we uh, exist for? Yeah, you wouldn't last very long. You'd last for less than a minute, probably, if, uh, if you couldn't breathe anymore. If we took away water from ourselves, then um, you probably wouldn't live for more than three days. You took away food, you may last for almost a month, I'd, I'd probably say. There wouldn't be much left of you, though. Um, but if you took away... A lot of different things. If you took away gravity, we wouldn't be able to exist. If we took away air pressure, we wouldn't be able to exist, we'd just explode. Um, if we took away the sun, we wouldn't exist. If you took away, well, the air, the, the sun, the moon, we probably wouldn't exist too, too much either. If you took away um, uh, the seats that you're sitting on, you probably wouldn't be too comfortable. You probably still exist, but you'd be sitting on the ground. We require a lot of things to keep going. A lot. And if you take away one of those key ingredients, we don't last for too much longer. God, on the other hand, doesn't need anything to exist. He needs neither air nor gravity. He doesn't need air pressure. He doesn't need air. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need water. He doesn't need anything. He just exists in and of himself. He is the eternal I am without anyone else. To call yourself I am, yesterday, today, and forever, you know what that means? He doesn't change. He doesn't change. He is the same. He is consistent in every possible way. We, on the other hand, change from moment to moment. The fact that you're sitting here now is actually changing you and changing me. Every experience we have is somehow changing the connections that are going on in our minds. And we change little bit by little bit. Our thoughts change, our motives change, and sometimes we don't even know what's going on in our lives. In fact, most of us don't know what's going on in our lives. But we change from day to day, whereas God is not influenced and changed by anyone else. He is not changed by any circumstance, by any experience, because God... Is the unchanging one. He always is, I am. If he says, I am today, he says, I am tomorrow. When I am the next day, we say, I'm like this today, and I'm like this in half an hour's time. And I'm different again. God is the unchanging one. In the same way, God's character doesn't change. You know what's amazing about God? He actually determines his own character. And you might think, well, that's, that's pretty Normal. Don't we determine our own character? No. You see, God has perfect control over who he wants to be. So God has, from the beginning, says, this is me. Okay? This is me. I am a God of love and grace and mercy. I am a God who understands all. I am a God who sees. He chose exactly what he wants to be. We have a hard time even understanding who we are from moment to moment. We don't know ourselves. In fact, we spend the majority of our lives trying to understand who we are. And we go to his word to help us understand who we are. But God's character is not determined by anyone else. We are influenced by everyone else. And our character is changed by our experiences. You read a book, you'll be changed by that book. You read God's word, you'll be changed by God's word. You speak to someone in the street, you'll be changed again. You might say to yourself, I'm not changed, I say the same. I guarantee you're changing. We change. And we don't always have a say over what our character is actually like. We are moulded, in essence, by our experiences. The way we are brought up as children influences the way we are going to be for the rest of our lives. So someone born in in Australia with a certain set of parents and living in a certain suburb will grow up generally thinking a certain way. But go to China, go to Africa, go to the Middle East with a different set of circumstances, different parents, a different way of being brought up, and you will think differently. God is always the same. He isn't moulded by other people, but we are. We are changed by our circumstances and by the experiences we have and by the people that we come in contact with. This is what makes God unique. When He says, I am, He is completely unique compared to everything else in the universe, compared to everyone else. He is the self-existent one. He is the unchanging one. He is the one who is not moulded and and coerced into doing anything. He chooses exactly who he is and he stays consistent forever and ever. God can say these things about himself because he is God and he is unique. There was a famous um, boxer that passed away in June of this year. Most of you would know him. His name was Muhammad Ali. Okay? Okay? He passed away in the third of this year. And he was considered one of the best heavyweight boxing champions of all time. He won three titles independently. He was not only an amazing athlete, he was known for his inspiring, controversial controversial sort of uh, nature. He would rhyme things which would make his opponents look silly. He would um, He'd polarise things, so he'd say things that got people really upset. So he'd he'd always get people thinking and arguing. He was a controversial figure both inside and outside the ring. He was known for his quick-witted lines and his poetic talk. He was also considered or regarded as someone who who fancied himself and and regarded himself very highly. Probably the, the thing he's most famous for, or the phrase that he's most famous for, apart from all the other phrases he said, is, I am the greatest. I am the greatest. And he repeated this often. I am the greatest. Now, it probably was part of his stage persona. You know, in this sort of industry, you have to have a stage persona. Maybe he was different at home. But out in public, he considered himself and declared himself to be the greatest. Now, what was he saying? Was he saying that he was the greatest person that ever lived? Not necessarily. I think he was probably saying he was the greatest either boxer that ever lived or the greatest athlete that ever lived. Now, let's assume that he, that he assumed himself or was declaring that he was the greatest athlete that ever lived. If we assume that, there may be some other athletes who would disagree with him. There may be other people who follow different sports who would say, mm, I think you're being a little bit too... Exa- You've got, you got too much exaggeration going on about yourself. You think too highly of yourself because there are plenty of athletes down throughout history who maybe were greater than you. But what would you think of someone who said, I'm the most important person in history? I'm the most important person in history, and there is no one that compares to me. What would you think of that person? Would you say, hang on a minute, how can you possibly... Say that you are the most important person in history. I mean, there are plenty of important people in history. They're important scientists, people who made medical discoveries, great leaders who influenced, you know, whole nations and 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 fought wars and things of that of that uh, of that kind. But for someone to call themselves the most important person in history is a big claim, is it not? This is what we're examining today. You see, in the Gospel of John. There are a number of comments that Jesus made about himself. And he didn't just claim that he knew these things. He didn't just claim that he could explain these things. He actually said that he was these things. He was. Or he is these things. In his day, he was these comments were regarded as outrageous and boastful. In fact, They were so um, threatening to the religious leaders of his time that they wanted to kill him. In fact, they tried to kill him more than once because some of these things were so disturbing to them that they thought, we've got to get this guy out of the way because he's saying stuff that just is way uh, overboard about himself. But... If these statements are true about himself, if what he said was correct, then the implications and the impact are astronomical for man. They change man's history. They, change our, they should change our perspective completely about who we are and who he is. So we're going to look at these statements today. Okay? Turn with me to John chapter 6, verse 35. John Chapter six, verse thirty five. We're going to look at seven main statements that he made about himself, where he says, I am something. I am something in John chapter six, verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You like that for a statement? I'm the bread of life. Yeah. You know, Jesus had recently fed 5,000 people, a multitude of, of, of people with, uh, with some loaves and some fishes. And they started following him around. You know, When when someone's feeding you, you might as well hang around. So instead instead of following him to hear his teaching, if you go back to verse 26, Jesus said and answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. He knew their heart. He knew the reason they were following him. He knew perfectly their motives. And look at verse 27, though. He gives them some advice, and he says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And look what his answer is in verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him who he hath sent. That you believe on him. So Jesus could have said, I want you to go and give money to the poor. I want you to go and do this. I want you to go and do that. Go to the temple every day and pray. I want... Instead of saying all that, Jesus simply says, this is the word. You want to do the work of God? Just believe on him who he has sent. Who's he talking about? Himself. Jesus makes it clear that the spiritual sustenance that he provides is not something that, that can be earned or worked for. It doesn't require human effort. His point was simply that their need wasn't physical food. It was spiritual food. And he was that food. He was that food. And when they asked him how they could get this meat that would give them eternal life, he said, no need to work for it. Just accept it. Believe it. Jesus Jesus clearly tells them that this type of bread is not something that can be earned, but something that you simply have faith in. That's the gospel. And some people believe out there that Jesus taught a gospel of works, but when Paul came along, he taught a gospel of grace. You know something? That is utterly false. Jesus taught a gospel of salvation by grace, simply by believing. And this is what he's teaching here. You want life everlasting? Then you need to get that bread And that bread is him. And he says, the way you work to get that bread is simply believing. Nothing more. So then they thought to themselves, oh, that's like manna. That's like when God gave manna to the Israelites when he saved them out of Egypt. And then all they had to do was collect it every day. No work required. You can pick up as much as you need every day. But Jesus tells them that wasn't the real bread that gave life because they died anyway. But the one who has this type of bread lives forever. And the spiritual manner provided in Christ by God the Father is a perfect picture of salvation. You see, it comes from heaven. It rains down on you. And all you have to do is take it. No need to work for it. I mean, to to make a loaf of bread, what does it take? Do you go to the supermarket and buy the flour? Well, no, If, you, if, you go, back a, if you go back a few more steps here. You have to have the, the grain. You have to get that grain somehow. You have to... You have to uh, what's the way we are preparing the... Fi- oh, you oh. you plough the field. Is that right? And you then have to sow the seed. Then you have to wait for the water to, to rain. And you have to wait a whole long time before that happens. And then, and then you have to wait for, the, for the, 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 the grain to come out of the or sprout... Then, when it's ready, you have to cut it. Then you have to you have to crush it in a sense of take the actual uh, the grain out of the actual uh, the 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 millet. Is, it? is that what it's called? Yeah. And then you have to do what with that grain? Can you have it? Can you make bread with that grain? No, you can't. You have to then crush it. And if you like white bread, you've got to remove the the husk from the uh, from the the inside. Or if you like whole meal, you have to you just crush it and you, you have the whole thing put together. But then you have to make the bread, don't you? You have to then go to all the steps of making bread. Some people are good at making bread, some people aren't. There's a whole lot of headache. But when it came to manna, there was none of this. It just rained down, ready to go. You can just mould it and do whatever you wanted with it. It was bread ready to eat. You could eat it straight from the ground. But You weren't allowed to take more than a day's supply. You had to only take enough for yourself to eat on that day. Every day there was new. And you know something? It's a perfect picture of Christ. That this bread came from heaven. And we're given more than enough for everyone to eat. But you only take as much as what you need. Each and every day. But what's guaranteed is you will have enough each and every day of your life all the way to the end. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus declared himself to be the spiritual bread. And once a person receives him, they will never be hungry again, because the more you want, the more he's got. You will have enough for each and every day of your life. But what what could Jesus uh, give, really, that provides bread? Life each and every day. What can be received every day? Oh, we know Jesus gave his life for the world, don't we? He gave his life on a cross. So that's, that's part and parcel. So we've accepted that particular gift. But what does, what does Jesus give every day that continues to give us life? Well, Acts chapter 15, verse 11. You can write this one down. You need to turn there. It says, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they... It's the grace of Jesus Christ that saves a person. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, by believing. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God that rains down from heaven. Not of works, not something that you need to work for and produce yourself. It is a gift of God not of works as any man should boast. It is by grace that we are saved. It is by simply believing in Jesus that we are given the very thing that saves our souls and nourishes us every, each and every day of our lives. And we're given enough of it every day to win the victory. Every day. Now there was, um, Jesus says that he has, do, do this study in your own Bibles if you are, if If you have the time, look up the grace of Jesus or the grace of the Lord Jesus and see how many times that's mentioned. How many times the prayer of the Apostle Paul and Peter and all those say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. The grace. Well, the grace is something that he's given me that I never deserved in the first place. And the grace is something that he saved me by, but the grace is also something that he sustains me by. You know, when Paul, when Paul suffered, with a thorn in the flesh. Paul had some serious ailment that was debilitating for him. The Bible says that he was also given a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And he asked the Lord and he says, Lord, take it away from me, please. I, this is not very nice where I am. You know what the Lord says to him? After you prayed three times, please take it away. You know what Jesus says? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. I know you're going through a difficult time. But rely on my grace. It's enough. Hmm. Maybe we are in a similar boat. Maybe we're going through a difficult time. Maybe the thing we've prayed for time and time and time again, we keep on getting a no answer to. or, or, Or no answer. And we're thinking to ourselves, what's going on, Lord? Why aren't you answering this particular thing? Don't you see what I'm going through? Could it be that Jesus is saying, my grace is enough for you? Rely on me. Rely on my grace. I'll give it to you every day to get through. But just learn to trust in me. In addition to providing the bread and the grace that we need, it says that we will never ever thirst. So he will keep on giving us bread to eat, which nourishes our soul. But it says that we will never thirst as well. So... Turn to John chapter 7 verse 37 with me, where John once again brings up this, uh, this interesting topic of water. And in John chapter 7 verse 37, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now look at verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. (coughs) Jesus declares that if a person puts their trust in Him and believes in Him, not only will they be saved from their sin, not only will He give them the grace that they need each and every day of their lives, the Bible says that He'll give you the Holy Spirit of God. The same Spirit that that God gave to those amazing men in the Old Testament. The same Spirit that came upon them to do incredible feats, to achieve amazing things for God. That's the same spirit that he says he's going to put into your heart. If a person simply comes to Jesus to be saved, he will not ever cast them out. He will give them the grace they need for salvation and he will provide the Holy Spirit for you that will indwell you and seal you up until the day that he calls you home to be with him. Jesus says that in him, Any person can be satisfied fully. Any person who has a spiritual hunger will have it filled. And you will never have to worry about ever going hungry again. You will never have to worry about having been parched or dry again. He'll quench it every time. That's a big claim, isn't it? Okay, let's go to the next one. John 8, 12. I'm praying we can get through this whole sermon today. John chapter 8 verse 12. Then, sp- then spake Jesus again unto them saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Literally, this means that those who become disciples of Christ, that choose to follow him as one of his followers, will not be ignorant of spiritual things. He will have the perfect teaching for them that will open up their eyes as much as they need. He will give them power to comprehend spiritual truth, the sort of truth that brings eternal life. Jesus therefore claimed to be the source of all truth. If he says that he is the light of the world, what he's saying is that he is the source of truth. And the truth that emanates from him like a light into this dark world is at its source, him. He is the source of that light. See, a lot of people can transfer information around, can't they, and knowledge. You know, we can learn something and then we can pass that information on to someone else. But none of us can ever say, I am the source of that information. That I am that light. All we can say is, I've received that light, and you know something? I'm going to share that light with you. But it came from somewhere, Jesus says, you know where it's coming from? From Him. Jesus claimed to be the source of all spiritual truth. And Jesus claims that if we trust in Him, if we follow Him, then we will never lack For truth. Because he always has it. And he will be the source of it. In fact, he only calls himself... He only says that he is the light. He also says that he is the word. So where do we find that truth? We find it in the word of God that he's given to us. And he teaches us through that. He helps us to understand ourselves. He helps us to understand God and everything in this universe and why it's here. You know the difference between a Baptist church, and I've been asked this question many, many times. What makes Baptists different to other churches? Now, there are a number of differences, but you know one of the most important differences is that we believe that we can be taught directly from the Word of God. You don't need a priest to be telling you what the truth is. You don't need someone else. In fact, one of the most exciting things about being a Christian is that you can open up the Word of God and God can teach you directly Himself for yourself. And you can learn at your own pace. And He will teach you truths that the priests don't know. And you know why? Because the Bible says that He is the author of it and He is the teacher of it. And if you have Him... You have a teacher with you every single day of your life. I don't need the word regurgitated through someone else in order to understand it. If you are in darkness in any area of your life, any, and we have a number of compartments in our lives and and some of those are, are well illuminated. It's a bit like a house. You have your home, you might go into a room that the light isn't turned on, so what you do is you walk in that room and you can't see around, you turn the light on. You know, in our own lives, we have areas in our lives that are well illuminated, open, clear. But there may be other rooms in our lives that are quite dark. And our life is, in essence, opening up all the windows and opening up all the lights and making sure that the whole house is, is illuminated. If there's any area in our lives that, that are dark now, and you may think to yourself, mate, I've got some dark corners that I, I need to, to shine some light on. You know, Jesus guarantees that you can shine the light in those areas too. He, can, he is that light. So the, the first thing you need to do is invite him into that room. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid what's, what's there or what might come up. Because those who live in the light are the ones who have complete freedom. The ones who don't have freedom are the ones who have dark areas in their lives. They don't they, they keep the door shut. If there's any darkness in your life, Jesus declares that He is the light and He will bring light to your blindness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That light begins to illuminate the mind and the heart of a person when they accept Jesus as their Saviour and He comes into their heart. And He takes up residence there. <laughs> And slowly, slowly, he brings light to all areas of the house. Jesus declares that he is the light. It is in him that we receive the knowledge of the glory of God. Turn with me to John chapter 10, verse 9. John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says, I am the door. Not I'll show you the door. Not I'll lead you to the door. Not not that I'll help you open up the door. Jesus says, he is the door. And that salvation can only come to a person who is willing to enter the kingdom of God through him. He is that door. He is a door of heaven. And through him alone can a person be saved. That's why in John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now you might be saying, what's that got to do with doors and things? You know something? When you were born physically into this world, you entered a doorway into life, physical life, but you weren't born spiritually. But when a person is born spiritually, you know what they've done? They've walked through another door. And they've entered into a whole different realm. Because that door leads a person into the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is the same kingdom that exists in heaven. So when you walk through that door, you've actually entered into God's realm. God's realm. Which is an extraordinary thing. So that's why a person needs to be born again. Because the first door we came through led us into this world, but it didn't lead us into heaven. Jesus is that door that sits between the physical world and heaven. The question is whether we've walked through that door. That's the most important question you can answer in your life. And Jesus says he is the only door between these two realms. There is no other door. There is no other way. Jesus says that he is absolutely exclusive. Turn to to Matthew chapter 7 with me. Verse 13 and 14. Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 and 14. Now look at this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Straight doesn't mean straight as in a line. Straight means narrow. Okay? Like wearing a straitjacket. That keeps them in a fairly narrow sort of way. The problem is that most of the world will find itself in hell one day. Because they chose to go through a way that's very, very broad. And where everyone else was going. You see, the easiest thing to do in life is just to follow where everyone else is going. Because, hey, there's safety in numbers, right? And if all these people can't be wrong... Therefore, I'm going to go along the way with them. And you know those crazy people that go through that little narrow door over there? They must be crazy. Look at how many of us there are. But Jesus says, enter by the narrow door. Because it's only that door through which a person finds life. And guess who that that door or that gate is? It's him. Turn with me to John chapter 10, verse 11. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. As I mentioned this morning, the responsibility of a shepherd is to care for the sheep. By caring, he must lead them to pastures where they can feed. He must protect them from predators. He must keep an eye on the ones that are sort of going astray and make sure that they're, that they're in the actual fold and they're not straying too far. But Jesus declares himself to be the good, the perfect shepherd. Most shepherds will protect the flock up to a certain point. You know, if a shepherd might be leading a flock and, and a wolf comes along or a, or a smallish wolf comes along and he's got his stick he might choose to, to, to shoo the, um, the, the wolf away. Might give it a nice headache for its troubles. But what happens if a pack of wolves came? Will a shepherd risk his own life to protect the sheep? What happens if a pack came? And all of a sudden he found himself in, in front of about five, six, seven wolves. Yeah, you might find that many of the shepherds will run. But Jesus says he's the perfect shepherd. Not only that didn't he run, but he actually gave his life for the sheep. That's what makes him different to everyone else. Most shepherds will only care for a flock as long as their own safety is not threatened. Only few would be willing to risk their own lives to protect the sheep, but Jesus willingly gave his life for the sheep. So Jesus is saying here, you can trust your life And your soul to him. He is the perfect shepherd. And if your life is in his hands, he will lead you. He will love you. He will protect you. He will guide you. And he will never ever abandon you. Because he's the one, if one sheep goes astray, he'll go looking for it. That's a good shepherd. He leads us all the way home. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Now turn to John chapter 11, verse 25 with me. Jesus said unto her, John eleven twenty-five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? That's a good question at the end of that one over there. But he declares himself to be the resurrection and the life. It's an amazing statement, if you think about it. Jesus is saying that if, you've, if you believe and you've passed away, then you'll be brought back to life again. And he's the author of that life. He, he has the ability to be able to raise people from the dead. And not only that, he said there will be people who are living who will never die. Ah, that's a nice thought, isn't it? This is a nice thought to think that you may never have to die, that one day he may simply call us home, and the ones who are living will actually go without dying. But whether you have died, whether you are living, he says simply that he is the resurrection and the life. Tell me to Deuteronomy. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Now what did Jesus say about himself? He is the resurrection and the life. Okay, He is life. Look at Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. God made this challenge. He gave this choice to the people of Israel. He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. That both thou and thy seed, which is your children, may live. Stop there. God gave them a simple choice. I'm, putting, I'm setting before you life and death, blessings and curses. What does he want them to choose? Choose life. And he sets this, this challenge and he sets this record against Israel. And he says, Israel, I want you to live. And if you choose life, you will live. You know, Jesus simply just rephrased that, that challenge. And the record is not just against Israel. Jesus says, I, set, I, set, I call heaven and earth to record against you, the entire world, all of mankind. This is a record that I have that's meant to be set against you, that I've set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose me. Choose me if you want life. You like that? Because he is the life. And if he is the life, he's saying, choose me if you want to live. Jesus is making a huge claim here. He is the source of life. He is the source of life. And if you are in him, you will live. If you are not in him, you will die. Because he is a source of life. Turn to John chapter 14 verse 6. John chapter 14 verse 6. Now he combines three now together. Three I am's in one go. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. But by me. He combines three I ams here, three declarations into one, and there is no escaping the ramifications of their meaning. Jesus says, I am the way, there is no other way, amid a number of possible ways, but He is the one and only way. Every other way is a false way or a dead end, literally, a dead end. It will not get you to your desired destination, but will lead you to damnation. Every other philosophy and religion, though it may contain certain elements of truth, they're not going to lead you to eternal life. It's a bit like having part of a map. It doesn't get you anywhere. It only leads you part of the way there, and then it stops. Every other philosophy of man, every other religion, every other religious leader, every other thought... I may have little bits of elements of the truth in there, but it's not the entire map. And Jesus says, you know something, if you want to get to your destination, I'm the way. Every other way is going to lead you short and you're going to fail. Jesus says he is the truth. Not that he has the truth or that he knows the truth, but that he is the truth. He is the embodiment of every truth, actual truth. And by this, he actually affirms that there is such thing as truth. You know, because in our society, we have a lot of people running around saying, oh, that's your truth and I'll have my truth. And when it comes to spiritual things, it doesn't really matter. Every, everyone's sort of on the same sort of path. And as long as we're sort of agreeing to respect each other's opinions. Jesus says there is no respecting other people's opinions with the truth. There is a truth. It's a bit like saying "Oh, in gravity, in physics, if you throw something up in the air, it'll come down. Do you expect, not expect it to come down? Of course, you are expected to come down because the law of gravity exists. And Jesus says, just as there are physical laws, just as there are chemical laws and just as there are a lot of other laws, there are spiritual laws. And guess what? He is the one who tells you what the spiritual laws are. And if you choose to disobey the spiritual law, it's a bit like wanting to disobey a physical law. You know something? And if you're happy to obey, disobey a physical law, you may find yourself in a very difficult position. Because if you choose to disobey the law of gravity, you may decide to jump off the roof of this building and think that it's not going to work for you. You'll find out very quickly that it does work for you. And the same is true for spiritual laws. If Jesus says this is a spiritual law, you better listen to it and obey it. Because there are plenty of people throwing themselves at the top of buildings spiritually who are finding themselves in difficult situations even today, let alone in the future. So Jesus says that He is the life. As we've seen before, He is the source of all life, the sustainer of life. He is where life can be found and true life can be experienced experienced both now and in the future. So what's the conclusion of this triplet? I am the way, the truth and the life. That there's no other way. If you want to get to God, if you want to one day see God and, and, and be in His presence forever, There is no other way except for him. There is absolutely no other way. As Peter discovered in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other way. To pretend that there's any other way is just deluding ourselves. So turn to John chapter 15, verse 5, as we reach the seventh one. And we're almost finished, and I thank you for your uh, patience. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine. Ye are the branches, He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. That's an interesting... uh, uh, a challenge there he is divine without him you can do nothing jesus declares that he is the source of every potentially good fruit he is the source of it you know salvation is the first part of first part of this thing we call sanctification all right so so you put your faith in christ he saves us and then we find ourselves with a whole new character with we've, we've What's what's done now is eternal and that we are we have been adopted into God's family. But salvation is only the first part. Grace doesn't stop there. And it is faith. Faith continues to grow. Once saved, God then wants us to become more and more like His Son. He wants us to produce fruit and to show the characteristics that Jesus has through the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. So Jesus is saying that if you're not connected to him and he's the vine if you're not connected to him by receiving him as your lord and savior you cannot produce anything worthwhile in your life not one thing there isn't anything that you will ever do in your life that will stand the test of time everything that you do outside of him is utterly useless from an eternal point of view and will eventually be judged and destroyed and forgotten Now there are plenty of people who down through the ages have done extraordinary things you know, they've conquered they've conquered things come up with cures for for illnesses and you know they're in our history books you know we read about them in our history books and you might read about them in textbooks and you might you know you might learn about them at school famous people in the world but you know something all those things will actually amount to zilch because all of those things, you know, when Albert Einstein uh, discovered the theory of relativity, eh, it was hailed as probably the most uh, significant discovery, okay, scientifically ever, okay. But you know something? Didn't God already know that? He only discovered what God already knew. And one day, we're going to know everything that they still don't know, because they've only discovered that much of that much. Do you get it? So even though in this world albert einstein is regarded as a, as a as a as a um, absolutely amazing person you know in heaven if albert einstein's not there and i hope he is i hope that he did give his life to the lord jesus christ if he's not there we're not going to be reading about him ever people won't be saying what an amazing guy he was because It didn't last. It didn't stand the test of time. Everything you do outside of Christ is useless from an eternal point of view and will eventually disappear. All this will one day come to naught. That's why Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. This is a story of mankind. We think ourselves to be much more high than we are. But in the end, everything that we think that we can bring to God and say, look how good I am. Look at me, God. You know, I, I don't hold grudges like that person over there. I, I, I do the right thing. I don't gossip. I don't lie. I don't steal, chill, uh, cheat or, or steal. I don't commit adultery. I haven't killed anyone. You know something? Like that person over there, he's got so many problems and she's got so many problems. But you know me, Lord, I'm so good. You know, I, and, and, and whatever I might have done wrong in the past, you know, I'll fix that up and now I'm perfect before you. You know, everyone almost thinks like that. How many of us actually think, and how many people in the world actually think that they're actually okay? I'll guarantee you, 99.9% of people think they're okay and good enough to get into heaven. But Jesus says, you know something? Everything you think that's good about yourself, if you're not connected with me, is worth absolutely zero. Absolutely zero. Jesus is clearly teaching that you cannot possibly have anything good to show before God unless... He has started the work. Now, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, just to clarify and finish this thought. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Unless the work was started by Jesus, sustained by Jesus, authorized by Jesus, and actually done by Jesus, it's not going to last. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, you know this verse. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But look at at verse 10. For we are, whose workmanship? His workmanship. In other words, He's the one who's moulding. He's the one who's doing. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know, if God hasn't foreordained, which means he hasn't set them out ready to go in front of you and you walk in those particular works, anything that you think you do, anything I think that I can do, if they're not lined up with those things, if they're not in obedience to, the, to him, if they're not actually authorized by him and sustained by him and given the grace to do by him, they don't mean absolutely anything. That's why the Bible tells us that one day all our works are going to be judged. They're going to go through a fire. And there's going to be those who have had the foundation in place, which is the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, but they're built on that foundation. They're built with wood, hay and stubble. And they think to themselves, look at the beautiful house that I've done, Lord. But yet they haven't actually done anything. They've disregarded God's word and they've only built a structure with bits of stick and hay. And then the fire comes along God says, let's let's look at these things that you've done. Whoosh! Nothing left. So there's going to be some people, the Bible says, that it will be saved by the skin of their teeth. And they'll be saved by the skin of their teeth because Jesus saved them. But they'll have nothing to show for all of eternity. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you want to have for all of eternity? What do you want to show? There are too many Christians around that are happy to have just a foundation. And 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 come before God one day and say, God, here I am. Thanks for saving me, Lord. And God says, Let me see what you've done with your life. Let's let's have a good look here. And you'll have nothing to actually show. Now let me ask you a question. Do you actually think that at that moment you will be happy? You can't be. How can you possibly be happy? You're going into eternity with nothing. Into eternity. Not just for the next few years, but all of eternity, you'll have the foundation, the shell, but nothing to show. Yet there'll be those who have followed the Lord in his leading. And it says they've built on that structure, on the foundation of Jesus Christ, they're built with silver, gold and precious jewels. And they're going to have something to show. And when God says, let's check you out and the fire comes through, And they're left standing. And there's a beautiful building there. And you say, praise God. Imagine the joy you'll have going into eternity, knowing that those things which you did were actually driven by the Lord, were actually done by Him through you. Did you understand this one thing? That we can't do anything worthy of heaven without Him. There isn't anything we can do. If you're not connected to him and obeying him, then everything else is useless, unless it's done in Christ. Jesus says he is the source of everything that's good. Now, how do you like them fishes? How do you like them fishes? Where does that leave you? Let's just summarise. Jesus declared that he's the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the door of heaven, he is the good shepherd, he is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth and the life. He is divine for all godly fruit and for every good thing that will stand the test of time. How can one man declare himself to be all of these things to all men in the world? How How can one man say that he is all these things? What audacity, what nerve to say those things because you know in his day when he was making those claims in front of everyone else they wanted to kill him how dare you say those things who does he think he actually is who does this guy actually think he is i mean we're teachers of the law the pharisees would say we're the teachers of the law we're not saying those things look at what he's saying who are you saying you actually are, Jesus? Well, you've only got three possibilities. For someone who makes those sorts of claims, only three, he's either a lunatic. You get that? He was either a nutcase. He was, he was either so deluded about himself that he was on the level of a fruitcake to make those claims. The second possibility is that he was an absolute deceiver. Because if he knew that he wasn't those things, he' he's claiming to everyone, I am all these things, come to me, and he knew that he wasn't, he was just making it up, then he, he led all those people that followed him to their deaths. That makes him one of the most evil men in all of history. One of the biggest deceivers, liars, That ever existed. Well, there's a third possibility. That he wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a teacher, a moral moral theorist. He wasn't just another hero or a famous personality. He wasn't just another religious leader or a brilliant philosopher. But someone, someone who was beyond all of these. Which brings me to the final I am. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 23. John chapter 8, verse 23 says, And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. I said I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? And Jesus saith unto them, Even the same that I have said unto you from the beginning. Stop there. Jesus says, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. What do you mean you are he? Well, what do you mean? And they asked exactly the same question. Who are you saying? Who are you, are? Who, who are you saying that you are? And how are we going to die of our sins if we don't believe that you're, you are he? What do you mean that you're from above and we're from below? Turn to verse 54 in that same chapter. Jesus answered... If I honour myself, my honour is nothing. It is my Father that honoureth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet fifty years old. And hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Amen. Amen. Every person in this world is faced with a simple choice. What do you do with Jesus? You know, there are some people who claim him, almost every religion claims him for their own. They say he's a, a wonderful moral teacher. They say that he's a great rabbi. They say that he's this and that he's that. Everyone claims it, whether it's Hindus or Buddhists, or, or every religion claims him, even if they're not Christians, okay? And they say he's a wonderful man. But have they read his words? Because how can you say that he's a religious teacher if this guy's saying he's God, If he's saying that he's the I am, the same one that spoke to Moses from that burning bush, you can't just say he's a religious teacher. You can't just say that he's a moral person. You can't say that he's some sort of a biblical hero. You have to face the truth and you have to be true with yourself and with him. Either he is who he says he is and he is the I am, the creator of the universe, And you have to put your faith in him or you reject him as a liar and a hypocrite and a fraud. They're the only two options you really have with him. You either say he's either crazy or a liar and I don't want anything to do with him or you say he's everything that he said he was and he's a God who made me. He knows my name and he wants me to be with him. That's the choice that every person in this world has and I can tell you that I've chosen to believe him. I've accepted that he is the great I am. It was he who spoke to Moses from that burning bush. It was he who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. It was he who went before Israel in a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. It was he who was struck with that rock and he gave water to the Israelites. It's he who will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There is no one else. And if, if in this life there is no resurrection of the dead because he was a liar, then we're wasting our time here. Then we are most miserable people in this world because we've put our confidence in a liar so let me ask you this morning: What do you believe about him? Have you really trusted in who he is? Because you are—you have a lot at stake here, a lot. Your soul is the most precious thing to you, and if you've trusted it to Jesus, okay, you've trusted it to a man who is said who says that he is the eternal one, the God of this universe. If you don't know him this morning, then my challenge to you is to know him. Because there is no other way to salvation. Yeah. The Apostle John closes his, uh, his book with a nice verse. He says in John chapter 20, verse 31, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life through his name. God bless you. Thank you.